Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, ministry, the Bible. Um, And this week is our first kind of part two. We're picking up uh, where we left off last week. Um, If you didn't get to hear that one, you can go back and look at that, obviously. Um, But we started a conversation um, on homosexuality and some of the theology surrounding that. We kind of just generally talked about um, the homosexual homosexuality and the church's historical and biblical theology towards uh, the practice of homosexuality. Um, that was kind of motivated out of um, an article we had ran across of um, someone being fired from their uh, Bible college Bible position. college position for kind of simply stating that the historical historical conservative Orthodox position right. of the church throughout really all of human history, with the exception of some factions now seeking to essentially deconstruct and rewrite what the church has historically believed and practiced and taught. Um, regarding the acceptance of homosexual behavior as right. non-sinful or right. okay. Yep. He sim- simply said, he was like, the the view that homosexuality is not or is a sin is the Historic historical position. normal position. Mm-hmm. The other position is the position that is, should have the burden of proof. Right. Um, and so we kind of took up his kind of challenge to kind of talk about it. And so um, we got a handful of responses and questions uh, from that episode. Um, and so we felt like it merited just to continue that conversation a little bit, maybe go a little bit deeper in some areas. Um, before we turned the mics on, we weren't 100% sure where this podcast was going to exactly end up. Um, still not entirely sure. No, we're still yeah. not entirely sure. We're just kind of we're we're uncut. That's right. the that's the point. And as much as we're able to, we're we're shooting from the hip. Yep. So, so we did want to kind of pick up with um, with some questions. I'll I'll throw us. I think what'll probably be one of the easier questions, maybe, um, is what do we think about quote unquote conversion therapy? Yeah. So. It is, you know, I, the question as it's posed, I think, assumes or presumes um, a certain type of conversion therapy. Yes. You know, because I mean, like, I don't know, um, Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like, usually when someone talks about conversion therapy, they're talking about it in the most negative of sense pejorative sense yeah Yeah. uh that you know it is a heavy-handed um kind of pray it away yeah i what's like i'm not over like like not familiar with conversion therapy not something i've looked into significantly the image that comes into my mind is the like throw you away at a camp for three months and like lock you down and like make you 
do camp activities with strange therapeutic intent behind it. Um, Essentially, in in a in a kind of a reverse way, indoctrinate the person towards denying that they experience same sex attraction. Right. Like, no, this isn't really true. Right. Um, you know, you're being deceived. You're, you can't just gotta like put it out of your mind or stop thinking about it. Or we're going to, you know, lock you in a room and pray over you until you no longer feel these types of urges or attractions or whatever. Um, now, like you said, I am in the same boat. I don't have any, I've never had any exposure nope. to any like conversion nope. therapy. I don't know anyone who has done it, has done it or has been through it, it right. or anything like that. Uh, so it's only a response out of what has been maybe a caricature mm-hmm. of it in the media or whatever. Um, so, you know, yeah, totally speaking, out of non-experience. Right. You know. So if we were to take the most, um, what is probably the most biased view of it being holy and completely negative and pejorative, you know, um, then if you were to ask me the question, what do I think of conversion therapy? Um, I would say that I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know how else to, I don't know else to talk about it or how else to say it. Well, I, any more than it would be, it feels to me like, and again, this is without knowing it. It feels to me to leverage a certain amount of shame against an individual and maybe bend towards the encouragement to just deny what you may actually be thinking in light of like, well, we just got to do it a different way Mm -hmm. rather than maybe addressing what is most significantly affecting or um, producing, maybe that's the wrong word, the, the feelings, the thoughts, the urges, the proclivities that a person has. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I sit in the same camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, I'm, like we're not counselors, we're pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that I, I find from my vantage point and experience, um, the, I don't know how else to really say it. The the sort of therapeutic underlying thought is, I think, probably unhelpful. Um, and by that, I mean simply the idea of um, what you are experiencing is something that we need to suppress or and or expunge or get rid of in a aggressive manner or in some sort of, or, or even that we necessarily can. Um, I think that's, at least in my experience, not exactly how temptation really works. Right. Um, like, um, 
it's kind of the Christians often. This is this is one of the things that sometimes happens even out, outside of same sex attraction. Let's say we get a group of Christians who are struggling with uh, even let's just say pornography or as a heterosexual sexual sin or um, any sort of habitual type sin, and we like stereotypically the idea is like get into a room and be accountable to one another, you know, and have this like really intense meeting. And what can sometimes happen in that is like you can become so negatively focused on the thing that you do not want to do. Mm-hmm. And then you're rehearsing how you're still doing the thing that you don't want to do with other people, talking about it, focusing on it. And then you're feeling guilt and shame about it because you're sitting in a group of other people and you're then you're having to say like, well, did you... Did you act out on that sin this week? Or, um, and then you have to say yes, something like that. And then you just feel more lousy about yourself and you actually just end up spinning your wheels. Or you end up learning to lie. Or you end up being a Christian who's really good at exercising willpower and you become puffed up because of it because you can exercise willpower and not grace mm-hmm. for personal transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I think that's the same thing that conversion therapy is doing Mm. on one level is it's rather than accepting that we have desires that are not in line with God's will and gently bringing them before God's grace and throne and knowing that there's grace, forgiveness, and strength there, and then kind of moving through that. Yep. That's that's what I think. At least that's my method of um an understanding and even theology of how we deal with any temptation. Any temptation. Right? And any sort of any life sin. change, any sin. Yes. Is is accepting that that is part of us that we are sinful, not in a like angry way, in a like I am broken, mm-hmm. coming before the great physician. And then humbly, gracefully, just like saying, like, this is me. Like, I know that this won't necessarily go away, but can you give me the strength to endure it? And can I experience grace, love, and acceptance as a son, as a daughter, as a child of God, despite where I'm even currently at? And it seems to me, in my experience, that when when people kind of go through that process— with any sin that the ways in which God meets you and walks in that process with you mm-hmm. tends to be different for each yeah. person. hundred you know, percent. The process tends to be different. The timeline mm-hmm. is different. The experiences are different. The ups and downs are different. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of categorize it as a systematized therapy by which you just need converted is, um, you know, the underlying principles there I don't think are very healthy. I also feel like it may, and, you know, like not knowing, you know, it, I maybe this is a, a presumption or an assumption about conversion therapy, um, wondering if it's like, are we converting our desires 
Or is conversion therapy meant to assume or presume that we, that our souls need converted mm-hmm. like that? Well, the reason that you're experiencing same-sex attraction or whatever it would be yeah. is because you have not yet surrendered your life to the Lord, and we need to actually get you to a place of true repentance yeah. and t- true relationship with Jesus because we know that will fix it. Yeah, as if Paul did not write, like, I do not, I do what I do not want to do. Right. Right. Um but but in honest in all honesty there are you know there are factions of christian belief or thought not christian belief but christians i should say yeah who would presume to say well you know that they are obviously are not saved which i think is an important question like um there is i think the assumption sometimes that those who struggle with same sex attraction or human sexuality issues in general, whether it be homosexuality or something else, right. cannot be Christian. Mm. They're not Christians. Um, and so they need converted. Right. They need saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I think that gets even down into the weeds about their uh, relationship with the church mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how the church as a whole maybe interacts with them or receives them or doesn't receive them or, you know, interacts with them in the, in the, like in the environment of Christian community. Yeah. You know? Um, so, I mean, what do you, what do we think about that? You know, what do we think? Well, I think I know. I think I know what I think about it. But I, I, I like what I, I think about it. Well, let, I, let's let's talk about what we think okay, about it. Then. Well, okay. So let's just let's just take. Do we? Let's you know. I I think it is sometimes. I think in this conversation, it's so much. We gain significant clarity when we zoom out from homosexuality and issues of sexuality in general, and we think a little bit more generally. And we just say, do Christians experience temptation and then also fall to temptation and remain saved? Yes. Yes. I would say that most people, and and you're right, there are Christians out there who do not agree with what I just said and what we just affirmed. Correct. I think they're wrong. Yep. Um, I think there's lots of reasons in the Bible to show that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. The fact that almost every single example of human follower of God in the Bible sins um, after having been a follower of God. Um, I I can't think of an example that doesn't. Right. Um, And so then if we take that and we say, okay, does sexual sin constitute – like? Is it a sin above and beyond all? It's like some sort of special category. I don't think so. I don't see the. I don't see a. Um, particularly, particularly if we're talking about same-sex attraction. If an individual is experiencing attraction to the same sex, that 
I don't put that in a different category than I put uh, someone who's experiencing temptation to look at porn of the opposite sex or to um, steal or to lie. I'm not putting those in different categories. Those are all temptations and remnants of the uh, old self, the fallen flesh that remains in us as Christians on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, so I, if someone comes to me and they say, like, I'm experiencing same-sex attraction, my assumption, if they are a confessor of Christ, is not that they, well, you just have not confessed Christ truly. You have not truly surrendered to his lordship. I'm assuming that they're just experiencing the same problem that all Christians are experiencing, but with this unique aspect. That's what I think. That's what I think too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so. I mean, that, that's what I think too. You know, like, can someone be a liar and still be a Christian? Mm-hmm. I have, you know, like, can someone be an, an addict and still be a Christian? Yeah. Um, can someone do X and still be a Christian? Yeah. I think the very question presumes what does it mean to be Christian? Yes. And the presumption there is um, to be Christian means that um, has something to do primarily with the things that you do or don't do, right? It becomes a, okay, I become a Christian when I don't do all of the bad things that the Bible tells me right. not to do. Right. Um, and I don't believe that that's how someone becomes a Christian. No. You know, I think we are adopted as sons and daughters of God when we express um, faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, when we trust that, you know, his work on the cross um, uh, ransoms our life and gives us access to forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. and through his resurrection and through our faith in Jesus we are we are resurrected and welcomed into eternal life as well. Same resurrection that Jesus experienced, we will experience as well. And so I think that the the question of uh, can you do X and still be a Christian starts from the point of, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because if being a Christian means that we must abide by a moral checklist, then there are probably are a lot of very moral people who are not doing X, Y, or Z, but have, but, are, but are not doing it in a sense of their responsiveness to Jesus Christ in their life. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing it out of a sense of guilt or shame or morality or philosophy or right. whatever. Right. If, 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 if Christianity and, and being um, in relationship with God is a result of keeping a moral checklist... It's even it's conceivable that somebody could just keep that moral checklist without actually knowing Jesus, without having any saving faith in Jesus, right. which it's, is exactly what Paul says is not true, right? right? That that our salvation is not by works, right? It is by faith, so that yeah. no one can boast. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter two, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I mean we're we're getting into the tension that is so clearly articulated in Romans, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, therefore, there's no condemnation, uh, there, but should we also sin all the more so that grace could increase? Like, no, no. right? Right. Like, we're, like if you want to you see what the Bible says about that, that's what we think about that, right. read Romans. It's not, it's not that salvation gives us a sense of moral licentiousness. Right. 
just do whatever you want to do after expressing faith in Jesus Christ because that's what actually really matters. No, they both matter, Mm -hmm. but there is a cart before the horse. Yes. Right? And Mm -hmm. there is a, um, there is, you know, our, our morality, if you mm-hmm. could call it that, mm-hmm. we don't do any good works. All of our good works are filthy rags, right? Yes. Anything good that we do is the righteousness of Jesus in us, not our own. Mm-hmm. But our good works or our morality comes as a response to the life of Jesus in us or is the life of Jesus in us by his spirit, not our own good works that earn us the position that Jesus has already earned on the cross. Yeah. So. To ask the question, then getting way back into it, can you be gay? Can you be a liar? Can you be an addict and still be a Christian? The answer, unequivocally, for me is well, yes, because you know the Christian faith is not dependent on a moral checklist; it is dependent on my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, does that leave us in a state of, like we said, like moral freedom? No, it doesn't. It does require something of us. It mm-hmm. does require the work of sanctification in our lives. And yeah. so that's then where the conversation, I think, begins. But it also, you know, it, it requires that we ask about, like, well, what is the relationship with the church? Because I think that there are a bunch of acceptable sins that people are allowed to have when they're in the church, and there are a bunch of unacceptable ones. Yes. There are a bunch, there, there are a bunch of sins that it are that you're allowed to display and I think we talked about this in part one mm-hmm. about like right. same sex attraction being a part of someone's testimony is still not something that's really it's not it's pretty taboo. It's pretty taboo. Right. Like if it's going to be part of your testimony, it better be like really far on the rear view mirror. You somehow right. got miraculously healed from it. Right. But other things are perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. I really struggle with greed or anger or yeah. lust even right or pornography or or, or the, the the best right the best sin you could have is is the sin of um works mm. i just didn't understand i was a really good person i just didn't understand that i didn't need to be a good person but i'm still a good person anyways <laughs> right uh, that's the perfect testimony yes, uh, yes i'm also the most humble person that i know <laughs> haven't always been that way but right <laughs> Um, and so it feels to me like that there's a still a, an incongruity yeah. in our ecclesiological practices mm-hmm. about what, you know, because mm-hmm. I think one of the next questions that we got was in the practical sense, what do we do if there's a homosexual couple yeah. in our church? Yeah. Well, I think... Right here, before we go further down that question, I think it's I, I think it might be important to give people um, or to just mention the perspective we have as being pastors of a church. That I th- I was reflecting on this and I was thinking, you know, I don't think that that's a vantage point that everyone who comes in and sits in a pew or a chair on a Sunday morning necessarily has. Right, and that is and. Like, we are aware of people's shortcomings, Mm -hmm. perhaps more so than anyone else in the church. Mm -hmm. Like, we take, like, we take um, pastoral confidentiality super seriously. Um, We're not, like, 
you know, putting people on blast or anything like that. Nothing that, not, not something we do. Um, but we are just aware of the problems in people's lives. And we do see that, like, when we're preaching, we know that we're preaching to people who have ongoing sin in their life or um, are struggling with something or are wrestling through or going through a really dry season of faith or are coming here mourning this morning. We are aware of all of those different things. And so we're very comfortable with seeing the complexity and the uh, the some of the nuances and dark sides of being in the spiritual life, being a Christian and not having it all together this morning in a way that not necessarily everybody does on a mm-hmm. Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is about homosexuality, because it does impact the way in which we relate to people, particularly if you are practicing homosexuality, it's like it's it's on display that I think it forces the average attender of a church to come to terms with the extent of God's grace in a way that maybe they don't normally have to because they can just pretend that everybody else has got it together. And the one thing I don't got together, you know, I'm the only one. And mm-hmm. and that's not that bad of a thing because yeah. nobody else can see it. Right. But we can all see that. Yeah. That's that's obviously not bad. Do, do you think that's a dynamic that's at play? Is my point made or? Uh, I th- yeah, I think that there's a, there's a, um, you know, I think you could classify or talk about many of the besetting sins that people struggle with on a day-to-day basis as being more internal to them than someone who is in a homosexual relationship who comes to church with their partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be like front and center for people, but you might struggle with for instance, a, an addiction to porn that no one sees, right? that no one knows. And so you might be sitting in a church pew with you know dozens of people around you aware that there are, that they, like each person maybe has their sin, you know, to put it very simply, has their sin. But since I don't, it's not a display for me, and I don't, I don't got to see it right now, and I don't got to deal with it, mm-hmm. then it does not require me to have really an opinion about it. Mm. You know, it doesn't require me to say, well, why, why aren't we, why aren't we holding that person accountable? Right. Um, which is, we, I mean, we've had, we've had, um, we've had people who struggle with same sex attraction attend conduit here Mm -hmm. sometimes with their partner Mm -hmm. and it we've had comments about like well why aren't we holding them accountable yeah right um and in a gentle but pastoral and maybe admonishing way you know if i have a sense of if i've had a conversation with that person who's making the comment 
about their own life and their own sin before, mm-hmm. right? It is a it almost acts as an instructive moment to say, okay, you would like them to, you would like me to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, um, the conversations that I have with them are none of your business, but how about I hold you accountable now to the, the sin that is prevalent in, in your life? And that's usually, and it's usually, the response is usually like, well, it's not the same thing. Right. It's not the same thing. It's not. No, it's not public. It's not like public is what you want, right? You want yeah. the you want the facade of righteousness, mm-hmm. but not the inward disposition of having a heart completely surrendered to God. So mm-hmm. your pride is okay. Right. As long as it stays internal. But the homosexual practice is not okay because it's external. Everyone sees it. Mm-hmm. That's really my, that really for me is like the, the, I don't know. It doesn't. I, I, I'm not going to say that it goes so far as to. It, yeah, I get angry about it. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I get angry about I, that. I, I think Jesus did too when he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Right. Yeah. Um. I get. I get a little angry about that because it again just presupposes that everyone who's sitting in the pews, everyone who's here, um, trying to worship, everyone who's here listening to the proclamation of God's word. Is we're all here because we got to figure it out, and we're all here because we have arrived on the journey of righteousness with Jesus. Right. Not that that person maybe maybe they are maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's the first time in the building. Maybe they're right. hearing the proclamation of the gospel for the first time. Maybe they've never experienced um, a Christian community that actually looks at them and treats them with grace and love um, and compassion and gentleness and kindness. Maybe the only experience they've ever had. Is people saying, "Well, I mean, if you're, I mean, you obviously can't be Christian or be here because you're gay, you know." So, um, right. for me, it is a um, theologically repulsive attitude, mm-hmm. um, and that is in still that's still that pulls against the other side of the teeter totter that says. Yeah, I do believe that, you know, God does call us to a place of holiness and righteousness that yeah. is beyond a place of our sin. Yeah. Um, you know, both fortunately and unfortunately as a pastor, I do not control the speed at which or the willingness at which someone walks that journey of sanctification. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. We could... <laughs> can't kick someone down the path of holiness no. um and if you do you usually end up just kicking them out of church exactly um, is kind of mm-hmm. what we're like if you want you want a um quick diagnostic of why so many people are deconstructing and leaving the church um it's because that mm-hmm. um it's because we've been kicking people down the path of righteousness and religiosity mm-hmm. without um pastoral care love and support mm-hmm. grace and the gospel mm-hmm um, you know, Paul, uh, I think it's in one of the Corinthian books, but Paul says, um, you know, what is it that you have to be judging those who are outside of the outside church? Of the church? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something really, I think that's a really important point is that a, a part, and this is in my view, is that if... Apart from God, apart from a belief that God has created you 
and that He has a revealed will for your life, and that He has um, an intention for human flourishing and what is good and righteous and holy and respecting of Him, right? Apart from that, why would you have an understanding of sexuality that Christians hold? And and like if you're if I was you know if I was you know, an atheist, like, I do not know why I would particularly be all that interested in anyone's sexuality and what they do. The moral framework for me and how I understand sexuality and how people conduct themselves, other than the philosophical, like, tenet of do no harm unto others, um, that, that would be the only philosophical tenet really as a starting point for me as an atheist. Um, but I'm not an atheist. I'm a Christian. And so I believe that God has a revealed will about sexuality. And so then I'm to receive that will and to um, submit myself to grace and conform myself to that will because that is what God's will is. And out of submission and fear to God's will and the desire to follow after Jesus but if you're not a Christian, I don't know why you would do that. Right. And we have a lot of Christians who or are why really, I why I should expect you to do or that. Or why I should expect that that's Paul's point. Right. Is why would you expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus? Right. And isn't that what we talked we talked about this just last night in the class that we were teaching on mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, right? And Paul's words about I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 on um the the man that does not have the spirit of God cannot know the things of God, right. cannot know the mind and heart of God. They are foolishness to him. Right. Yeah. Oh. And so if someone is new at the beginning, at the pre-stages of even following Jesus, like that's not the most important thing. Is not, in my view, like their sexuality is not the most important thing. The most important thing is whether or not they know Jesus. Yeah. And I think sometimes is someone comes into the church, we see, oh, they're living an alternative sexual lifestyle. That is the one thing that we must fix. It's the one thing we must fix. And we don't focus on showing them the love of Christ, pointing them to the cross, demonstrating the truth of the gospel, um, gently showing that God has a will for their life and that it's revealed in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're fixated on like getting them to stop doing something that they have no basis for doing it. Right. Right. Like they, if you're not interested in following Jesus and following God's will for your life, why would you? Why would you? Why would you? Right. And the, the how do you become interested in following God's will for your life? Well, you, you know God. You yes. you recognize that you are in need of Him, and you come to Him for salvation. Right. Submit your life, lose your life, find it in Christ, and then experience transformation. And so, yep. Period. That, period. Period. End of the sentence. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. I mean, I like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of is you know that really does you know sum it up. So you know, like, what would be the response if we you know someone. If a home, I mean, how that's how the question essentially is formed, yeah, right? Is an openly homosexual couple were to attend our church? Welcome. Yep. We hope that you meet Jesus here. Yeah. Because I know that if you if you earnestly 
meet Jesus and want to meet Jesus, then Jesus is going to do with you what Jesus needs to do with you. Yep. Apart from through me or in spite of me. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, that doesn't mean that we're not going to, if we could, like, you're preaching on Romans later this year. Yep. Right? Romans has things to say about this. Oh, yes. Um, I'm sure that will be a topic that comes across. It will be. Yeah. Right? And so it's not that we would ever avoid or hedge what we believe or teach here, what we think God's will is. Well, for crying out loud, we're putting it on the internet right now for all to see. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, right. this is going to live forever. Right. My great-grandkids are going to be able to watch this video. Yeah, so. that's true. Oh, that's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's not think anymore about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, just to, I don't know. In context, we still do believe that homosexuality is incongruent with Christian life, that that's not what the Bible teaches, yep. that, like, that's yep. what we believe, right? Yep. right? Right from the very foundations of the creation of the world and creation of man and woman and the identity of their genders and the role of their genders. And, yep. um, yeah, it's not a very popular contemporary opinion to hold, but it is, no. the, it is the opinion that we hold. Yeah. Well, one way of might say of kind of summarizing this in a pithy way, because um, we might be asked, like, "Well, it's conduit an affirming church, right?" That might be a question that we have gotten or will get more. And you know, a simple way of maybe answering that um, might be to say that we are welcoming but not affirming. Yeah, I think for for those who are listening or watching or whatever, it might be helpful for them for you to define what you mean by, uh, by affirming, affirming yeah. right? Uh, affirming generally uh is the shorthand way of saying that we approve of slash affirm any sexual behavior particularly homosexuality mm -hmm. that we've um that we don't see any incongruency between whatever sexual behavior that you choose and christian life and teaching right right so that is that is what that typically right. means and that by that de definition we are we are not, not affirming. We are not affirming. Right. No. Um, because what, like, it's, this isn't an issue that the way that the lines are drawn, you can't not take a position on that. If, right. if the question is, are you affirming or are you not affirming? You have to be, you can't say, well, I just choose not to decide. Yeah. Well, because if you've choose, chosen not to decide and you've chosen to take no stance on it, you have de facto essentially become taken affirming. A yes, you've taken right. a stance. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you, one is unable to not make a choice in that conversation. Um, and so we're not affirming. But we are welcoming, right? To, to put it maybe in another sense. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I, there's not a single person in the whole world that's not welcome here, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know, think about that statement for a second. You know, it's a pretty absolute statement. But, yeah, you know, it's like, like, you know, well, within pastoral reason, right? Right. Uh, like, keep people safe here. Exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right, I think everyone like, understands what I'm talking about. Yes. But like, yeah, if you want to hear the gospel, like, you're going to hear the gospel here. Yeah. I don't care yeah. who you are. Um, yeah. Um, what? I think it might it might be helpful to, um. So we were we were sent a um, a brief. I won't call it like a significant theological statement, but we were sent a statement by a church that had 
kind of done some wrestling and had decided to become an affirming church. And they had a couple of um, sort of, I guess, theological principles that they sort of used as their jumping off point for their decision. Um, do you feel like that would be worthwhile for us to kind of just talk about briefly to kind of give some Yeah, we can see it. Do you, do you have it where you can pull it up? And yeah, can... I can pull that up for us. Um, so let's see. Um, so this church, we're not, I'm not in any ways familiar with this church, not interested in putting them on blast, but um, their, their statement, they, they have decided to become an opening and affirming congregation. Um, and they say, this means that we affirm our belief that all people are created in the image of God without regard to age, disability, gender, including gender identity, expression, race, ethnicity, social, or educational status, and sexual orientation. It's a really long sentence. Yeah. Okay. So can we pause there for a second? Yeah. We and respond to that part? Yeah. So they're saying, is we, we, you know, we affirm and believe essentially that all people are created in the image of God no matter what. Correct. Agree. Yes. I agree. We also agree. Yes, we, we agree. We confirm. Confirm people are made in the image of God. Yeah, Absolutely. Bibli- biblical truth. Very biblical. Yes. Stated in Genesis. Right. 100%. Yep. No matter what, you were, have value, have worth, are important to God, and therefore important to us. Like, Period. Yeah. It does not degrade the image of God. Um. They say they have a history of having just been welcoming is the words that they use. Um, and then they, the other main kind of theological point that they make here is they say, in his letter to the church in Galatia, the Apostle Paul writes, you are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself of Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave, slave nor, nor free. free. There is, uh, nor is there... Th- male or female, for you are all one in Christ Christ Jesus. Jesus. Agreed. Again, it ignores the context of Paul's letter to the Galatians, which he's speaking in terms of salvation. Right. You know, the context of Paul's, there is neither male nor free, slave nor, or um, (laughs) male nor free, Um, slave nor free, um, Greek or Jew, essentially. Um, Right male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. The context of Paul's letter there, the context of Paul's thought is that um, salvation is accessible in Jesus Christ to all who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Correct. Which is what we were saying earlier, right? Exactly. Right? Um, We've affirmed that. Right. Right? Um, But what Paul's not saying is nothing matters. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you practice. It doesn't matter um, whether or not you have like uh, life-saving faith. Like we all come together. We're all like we're all the same. We're all we're all one. I think that that's the implication behind the use of that. Yes, that's the understanding. Is that there's some there is some sort of implied universalism. Right of both belief or practice or position or, or whatever the case may be, but um, we don't believe or agree with that. 
Yes. Um, and so, yeah. if that is the mark of being an affirming church, again, then I would say that we're not affirming, but we are welcoming in the same way that the Spirit of God is welcoming to all those who would come to seek Him right. and to know Him, um, that those who seek Him will find Him when they seek Him with all of their heart, um, That uh, and that if someone who comes in is off like a you know, two-week bender on drugs and alcohol and active addiction, but is here and is like seeking to know God, mm-hmm. seeking to experience something of his grace mm-hmm. and his love for them, then mm-hmm. yes, you, we openly welcome you mm-hmm. into this community that you might know the grace of God, experience the love of God, and meet with Jesus so that he can transform you. Mm-hmm. Um, or someone who is, you know, like has a, an addiction to pornography or who is has same-sex attraction or has any other like um, issue that we would classically consider to be um, sin or contrary to Christian thought, doctrine, or teaching or biblical thought, mm-hmm. doctrine, or teaching. So I think that I don't know that church. I don't know the don't pastor. Either. I don't know. You don't. You didn't even show me the thing, so I couldn't even look it up if I knew it. But I think that if I'm being honest, it feels like they wanted to say something mm-hmm. about it without actually really saying anything. Well, no, about it's it. Like, you know, like from my reading, it it sounds like they had already taken a stance of affirming, and they just had reaffirmed reaffirmed <laughs> yeah that i guess that they were yes. an affirming or mm-hmm. that they weren't going to mm-hmm. hold that line um because there isn't there's not much of an argument in there there's just some simple statements yeah. that they have assumed right there's an assumption that if we call this a sin we have somehow um ostracized ostracized or we have um, not upheld the human dignity, the image of God, and all, and that we're somehow mm. disregarding yes. the equal footing of the gospel. Right, and we simply believe that that is those do, those do things not equal. are yeah they're not mutually exclusive. Not mutually exclusive. Yes, um, that's yeah right. So, so there's a underlying assumption there mm-hmm. that I think they're making. Mm-hmm. I mean, there certainly are more like tributaries to this conversation that we could have. Whether or not yeah. those are interesting to people or not is, a, I think, a question. And there are some questions that we still have and are wrestling with. And like we talked about a few of those uh, before we turn the mics on, like mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, transgenderism mm-hmm. and general gender dysphoria and um. And the confusion that surrounds all all of those conversations. Yep. Um, again, I'm not a I'm not an expert on human psychology or yep. human Neither. sexuality. Um, uh, and I know the word, and yep. so um, you know that's where my kind of expertise lies. If you want to talk about the word of God, or you want to talk about jujitsu, I can talk about those two <laughs> with somewhat expert level um, yeah. mastery. Me, me, it's sci-fi and Bible. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, other things I'm kind of um, having conversations based on inference. Right. But you know, some people are they're curious about those types of things, and I don't. I mean, neither of us are sitting here to 
pretending to be or presuming to be experts on human psychology or sexuality or anything like that. No, so we're just pastors in practice at a church. Yep. Trying to be faithful to the word. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, if you have more questions that you would like to see us um, respond to or mm-hmm. wrestle with um, in regards to this topic or corollary topics, you're always free to send those to us. Yep. Uh, you can comment um, wherever you're, it is that you're consuming the podcast, yep. YouTube mm-hmm. or um, Apple or Google or whatever. We'd also appreciate it if you would comment, Yeah. even if you say, hey, I liked it. Or, yeah. hey, I didn't like it. Yeah. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, leave us a, a review if you find this helpful. Like, mm-hmm. that would be a huge honor to us if you did that. Yep. And then, of course, we always have our text line, yep. which um, allows for you to ask questions. Yep. And we see those. Even if you don't necessarily get a response and that question doesn't come up yep. uh, right away, like, they, we get those. Yes. So. That text line is 716 716- Two zero one zero five zero seven, and um, we'll we if it's pertinent to like a part two or a part three, we'll add it into the next episode. If it's not, then we'll just add it to our our next or upcoming mailbag episode and uh, try to deal with it. So. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Uncut Podcast. Yeah.